And what Monsanto did was they created their Roundup Ready corn and um, soybeans, and they bred their um, they bred these uh, vegetables to be resistant to their Roundup. And what, would, what they would do is they would sell the seeds and the uh, poison, which Roundup basically is poison, uh, to farmers. And the whole intent of this wasn't really in the public good. The whole intent was just to increase their profits and sell their product. This is Wine, Women, and Revolution with your host, Heather Warburton. and welcome to Wine, Women, and Revolution. I'm your host, Heather Warburton. Today, it's going to be a really fun topic because we're going to be talking about food. And I really love food. <laughs> and I also love growing food and growing heirloom seeds. So my guest today is right up my alley for that. I'd like to welcome to the show, Jeff Quattrone. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having me today. Uh, thanks for being here. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I hope you are too. Yeah, definitely. So I have to know, how did you get interested in heirloom seeds? Well, it's really kind of interesting. Uh, back when um, when the economy crashed, you know, when the banks did the whole mortgage thing and everything went to crap, so to speak, uh, I started writing a blog because I needed something to do. And I was focusing on something that someone was doing or an entity was doing something positive in some way. So I was posting a story about that once a day. And I thought by the end of the year, I'd have 365 days of good deeds and that's some good content to work with and to go somewhere with that. But while I was doing that, I kept going back to environmental issues because I'm big on the environment and it, it got me back to gardening. Uh, growing up, we had a huge garden in our backyard. My dad taught us about organic gardening in the 60s, me and my brothers. My mom would can stuff. So growing food and preserving food has always been part of my life. And I had gotten away from it in a lot of ways. So this was bringing me back to that. And what I discovered was that, that food had uh, food can come become extinct, which was something I never gave much thought about, you know, living in an agricultural state. And we have supermarkets and farm stands all over the place. Uh, the thing that I didn't know about was biodiversity. And that was a really fascinating thing to discover. So I found the Ark of Taste on Slow Food, which is a catalog of foods that are threatened, endangered, or at risk of extinction. And that was Ark of Taste, you said? Yes, Ark. A-R-K, as in Noah's Ark. Okay. And um, that really blew my mind because that really opened my my lack of knowledge up to about food biodiversity and how uh, food become could become extinct. So from, you know, one positive thing a day to blogging about foods that could become extinct, I found myself that I got into a corner. How was I going to position my approach to this topic in a very crowded field? And I was at a loss, and um, in 2013, an email popped into my, into my box uh, saying, hey, have you ever heard about a seed library? And I thought, oh, that's kind of an interesting concept. And I started looking into it, and I saw that at that time, uh, there was probably about 50 or 60 of these seed libraries in the United States. And it was a fascinating subject to me because it, it deepened my knowledge about biodiversity 
and uh, how things can vanish because if you don't save seeds, the vegetable is done. If seeds aren't saved, there's no way to bring it back. So I looked into that and I thought, well, this is something that I can bring to uh, the South Jersey area because no one was doing it here. So I spent a year researching seeds and seed libraries and uh, that's how I got into it. All right. So what exactly is a seed library? Can you break it down for people that haven't heard of one yet? Sure. Um, there are many models. Like seed libraries have been around in, in various forms uh, for a number of years. But the, the model that we use with public libraries is it's a collection of open pollinated. And well, we hope that they're all open pollinated because they're the type of seeds that you can save. But it's a collection of seeds that are stored at a public library. And they're treated like library media. Like folks come in, they look at the list of what's available and they check out, so to speak, uh, small packages of seeds. And it's requested that people grow the seeds in their garden and return a similar package back to a library. And when this happens, it becomes a self-sustaining um, you know, program. It's a real uh, demonstration of seed sovereignty because you are securing your own seeds in your own community, which is um, what this is really about. And the great thing about libraries is they offer free and open access to the public and there's libraries in every town. So if you look at this from, you know, a marketing perspective, the distribution network is, is um, pretty good. It's great, you know. So you would go to that same public library where you check out your books and your DVDs and you could check out seeds there. That's kind of the goal. That's it. Exactly. So and they're community based programs. So what I do is I work with the library because, you know, library, different libraries have different budgets and staffing requirements. So we have to take all that into into account. And one other thing that I would like to mention is if seeds aren't returned, there's not any kind of penalty. Like, you know, there's book fines, because when you're growing, you know, there's germination issues, there's pests, there's a number of things that can happen. So there's no penalty for not returning seeds back to the library. But yeah, you basically go into the library and uh, depending on how they have it set up, some places will break down the large packages of seeds into smaller packages, but other libraries will just, depending if they get a really good seed donation, will give you a whole package of seeds. And that's it. There's, um, they don't, Nothing is bar scanned. Um, some libraries don't even, all they want to see is your card, uh, your library card, where other libraries just have it open to the public where the public can just come in and get seats. So are there libraries in the South Jersey area that are doing this now? Yes, there's a, there's a number of them in uh, Gloucester County. I started in Gloucester County in uh, 2014. We started with uh, the Pittman Public Library or the McCallum Memorial Library and the Woodbury Public Library, they opened uh, within six weeks, six weeks of each other. Now, the uh, last year, we were supposed to launch in the Gloucester County Library System this year, but COVID-19, you know, flattened that out. And the Gloucester County Library System is going to add six more of these libraries to um, be for, for one of each of its branches. So there's Pittman, there's Woodbury, there's Westville, there's, uh, Monroe Township was supposed to come on board this year. And then when we add in um, the six libraries in uh, the Gloucester County Library System, we'll be up to 10 in Gloucester County. In Camden County, uh, there, the Cherry Hill Public Library has a seed library. Haddonfield had their own seed library that they started independent of working with me. But we've recently started talking about um, bringing in a uh, program to 
focus on the, the Campbell tomatoes that were developed and bred in Campbell's experimental farm in Riverton, New Jersey. And then in Burlington County, we have a countywide seed library that the municipal government of Burlington County is behind. So I work with Burlington County Department of Resources, Rowan College at Burlington County, and the Burlington County Lyceum and Science History Museum. And we have a countywide seed library there. That's very cool. If more counties or townships wanted to get involved, how would they go about starting something like that? Do they reach out to you or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, please do. I'm always looking to um, expand this conversation. Uh, you know, my whole thing about everything that I do as an activist is the more people that are involved in a conversation, the louder it gets and it's the harder harder it is to shut down. So, yes, um, if you want to if you want information about this, um, my email is libraryseedbank at gmail.com. So please send me an email and I'll be more than happy to help you with this. Because I want to get, what I'd like to do is I'd like to get it all throughout South Jersey. Oh, and uh, the other thing is um, Camden County, the master gardeners in Camden County have put out a proposal for the master gardeners there because they have this great um, resource center in uh, Blackwood and they have a, a, a nice greenhouse complex there and they're looking at starting a Camden County Seed Library. Yeah, the Master Gardener program is really awesome. The Rutgers Master Gardener, it's it's a great resource. If people haven't taken the classes yet, I highly recommend them. Yeah, it is. And it's it's um, it's great because they, they're volunteers as well. So you can call your county extension agent with any questions that you have, and you'll talk to a Master Gardener, or you'll be in touch with a Master Gardener and get the answers that you need. But I'd like to kind of transition now a little bit. All you know, all of this heirloom seed stuff is very cool, and I had no idea about the seed libraries that they even exist. Like I've just been buying all of my seeds, uh, you know, from various online sources. But you want you talk a lot about food sovereignty, and that if a community controls its food source, that's a powerful tool. And right now, kind of capitalism controls our food source. And there was a fact I picked off of your website um, for your food sovereignty project. Sovereignty Garden, that four companies own 60 to 70% of all the seed lines now? Yes, that's really, um, that's really infuriating, actually. Uh, it, and the seed libraries are a response to that. There's uh, Monsanto, as we know, has, has become the lightning rod for a lot of the genetic modification that resulted in people finally waking up to um, the situation with seeds. And what Monsanto did was they created their Roundup Ready corn and um, soybeans, and they bred their vegetables to be resistant to their Roundup. And what, would, what they would do is they would sell the seeds and the uh, poison, which Roundup basically is poison, uh, to farmers. And the whole intent of this wasn't really in the public good, the whole intent was just to increase their profits and to sell their product. So, um, yeah, so Roundup, um, Roundup and Monsanto, they really became the lightning rod for the whole anti-GMO movement. So what happened was because of all this bad publicity and the problems that they were facing with lawsuits, they merged with Bayer Sciences, which is a German company that has a long history of uh, not being that great and uh, Monsanto doesn't exist anymore. And um, so that's, Bear is one of the four companies that are left that does this. Dow and um, DuPont merged, 
and they created a new name for their company, which escapes me right now. ChemChina got into uh, the seed business and they're increasing uh, their portfolio by snapping up um, as many seed companies as they can. But yeah, there's basically four um, seed companies that control um, all the um, uh, 60 to 70% of seed lines. The big, the big thing that really shook the seed industry was this. That was, in, I think it was in 2005 or 2006, Monsanto, when they were still a, a, a corporation, they bought a company called Simmons, which uh, for like a billion dollars, which they had a lot of seed lines in their portfolio. And that really, um, that really changed the dynamics of all this. So when a seed company and seeds are now a, are considered intellectual property and there can be patents put on living things because of a really bad Supreme Court decision in 1980 about the genetically modified bacteria that they were using for uh, to clean up oil spills. Uh, the Supreme Court said that, yes, that could be patented. So that opened up um, a lot of bad things to happen with capitalism, because you know you have these bad players who are looking at this and they're looking to control how, um, how things are created so that they just can increase their um, sharehold, shareholder value. And I think one of the things that is a problem that I've heard about, you know, is these patented seeds, you can't save them. Like, you're not allowed to keep your seeds from, you know, if you're a commercial grower or whatever, and you get these Monsanto seeds, that you can't save those seeds and replant them again next year. You have to buy new seeds every year from Monsanto because they own the patent on it, right? Yes, and that's correct. And one of, um, and that's part of the contract that they signed. Now, Genetically modified seeds are not available to the public. So the, these GMOs and these types of patented seeds are mainly at the commercial level. So what happens is the, the farmer gets locked into a two or three year contract or whatever they negotiate for, and they can't, set, they can't save their seeds. So they have to buy seeds every year. And if their seeds failed, um, they don't have a recourse because their seeds failed and they're locked into, they're locked into this contract. And the other problem with this is um, with corn, and this is this is a rare instance, but this can happen. Uh, corn is wind pollinated, so if um, farmer A is growing, you know, Monsanto Roundup Ready corn, and farmer B isn't, and the wind pollinates the corn on farmer B's property, and farmer's B corn is now Monsanto's corn from the wind pollination. Uh, Monsanto can sue Farmer B for trademark infringement. Wow. It's really nuts. It's crazy. It's, yeah, it's um, it's really frightening. And the, the great thing that I can say about this is that um, the whole anti-GMO movement really opened up the conversation about this. And with these um, seed libraries, there's over 600 of these seed libraries in the United States now. And they're very popular, very popular with the public. And the public has really embraced this. Uh, the public is fully aware of what's going on. And that's a really good um, movement when you look at the attitude of the public and what they can do to try to stem what's going on. There's a saying out there that is attributed to Henry Kissinger that I've yet to find a direct um, a attribution for. But you know, you control the food, you control the population. And when you think about um, food and a lot of it, where it starts, it starts with seeds. 
Right. And having four companies in charge of the bulk of your food is really dangerous. If you're, you know, if you're someone like me who's a little dubious of capitalism and thinks of capitalism only as a way of exploiting people, the people have no control over their food then. And, you know, economic issues can really devastate the food production in an area or in a country. Yes, they can. And, you know, to um, dovetail on that is, I believe it's um, 10 uh, major uh, or multinational food processing companies control most of what's on the supermarket shelves. And what happens with multinationals is um, they remove local sovereignty from, from the equation. The whole food sovereignty movement was started in, in the 90s as a response to um, uh, the whole Green Revolution movement, which was... Um, Corporate and foundation-sponsored, um, I'm going to say propaganda, or an attempt to come in and uh, take away local sovereignty rights for seeds and farming in countries that didn't meet the standards of the industrial uh, nations. So what happened was there was uh, this revolution called food sovereignty, where La Composita, a group of farmers and peasants, they got together and they created um, Whole Food Sovereignty Movement in the early 90s, early to mid 90s. And they put out four of their, like, I guess it's kind of a manifesto. And one of two of them that, that struck me specifically was the right to retain their own seeds and that you shouldn't criminalize being a peasant. Right. Food sovereignty is something that I think needs to be part of the larger conversation about this is. Because, you know, in general, food sovereignty is the rights of people to secure their own culturally appropriate food without corporate interference. And I think that that's a really powerful um, way and a really powerful statement. And to dovetail into what I'm trying to do now with my Sovereignty Gardens campaign is I want people to um, start talking about this and think about when you're growing your own food in your backyard, you're growing your food rights. So do you have resources with Sovereignty Garden of, you know, some people think that they have a brown thumb or they can't grow things at all or they have limited space. Do you have or do you plan to bring online some resources for people that are just now interested in learning to grow their own food or grow food in their communities? Yes. With Sovereignty Gardens, there's four tenants that are part of this. It's seeds, bees, foods and rights. So people can plug in at any level that they are comfortable in. If you, if you have a brown thumb or you don't have the ability to access somewhere where you can grow, if this is something that you're interested in, then you can uh, plug into the rights part of that. I'm trying to uh, open this up. This is, this is really kind of a whole new experiment for me because what this is is actually, it's, a, it's an extension of a propaganda campaign that I launched in 2017, which is a homage to the Victory Garden series that the United States government did and other governments did during World War One and World War Two, where they encouraged people to grow their own food for the war effort. So, you know, because there was this whole thing with 45 and, you know, Russian propaganda and everything else, I embraced the word propaganda because propaganda is, is neutral in its definition. It's just really about using information to support a cause or a person or, or something like that. I mean, you know, what's the difference between branding and propaganda of $500 on an ad agency? 
I mean, it's, it's really what, you know, it's how you use information. So I thought I would turn it, you know, flip it and uh, flip it to the oppressors by launching a uh, propaganda campaign with uh, about food sovereignty. So I did this because I'm an artist also. And this was the first time I was able to blend my artist and activism in a, in a truly meaningful way. So I launched the Food Sovereignty Revolution propaganda series. And, you know, that was just, this, not just, but it was a series of posters and uh, got me started with this. And the whole idea was, well, how can I take this to the next level and, and take this beyond something that people can either hang on their walls or wear on a t-shirt? So I looked at the Victory Garden campaign that was part of the um, propaganda series that the government did. And that's when I thought that I would do this Sovereignty Gardens campaign, which now opens up the opportunity for people to embrace food sovereignty and talk about it. And if someone can't grow, then hopefully they can get involved in either as a coordinator for a seed library uh, to help a library out or become some kind of advocate or activist for food sovereignty rights in the rights part of it. Do you actually have plans to do some lobbying for, you know, structural changes regarding food sovereignty? Well, you know, that's an interesting point. And that's something that I'm, I'm not a policy wonk, um, to be honest with you, I'll, that, you know, I, I understand policy and it, I get lost in the weeds with that. So that's not my strong point with it. But what I do know is, is that um, in, in the South Jersey area, there's not any type of food policy councils anywhere. And I think that food policy councils are a really good tool for lobbying and activism to make structural change in a governmental way. That is beyond the scope of what is in my wheelhouse. The thing is, is that I found that I'm really good as a connector and networking and those realms and I've had a lot of success with that. So I've been focusing on that part of it. I mean, if there are people that want to come in and be part of a policy council and they want to work under kind of the sovereignty gardens thing, it, you know, this is kind of an umbrella organization. And what this is based on is, uh, you know, I do a lot of work with Slow Food USA and Slow Food International. And Slow Food, we're a international organization that supports good, clean, fair food. And that's a really um, general statement about a lot of things that we do. And, uh, but with, what's great about Slow Food is, is that it's a bottom-up organization, it truly is. And, uh, you know, people, if you're self-driven and you really wanna uh, do a lot of good work, you know, uh, Slow Food provides a platform for that. So that's what I'm trying to do with Sovereignty Garden is I'm trying to create a more public-facing platform and get outside of a seed library because the seed libraries are limited in the folks who can grow and people who use lead, uh, libraries. So I thought that this would be a way to expand that. Yeah, that people can kind of plug in with their existing skill sets and there's kind of a home for everyone that's interested in growing community power and community food sovereignty. Exactly. Even if it gets down to advocating for bees, I mean, bees are threatened, they're under a lot of pressure. It doesn't necessarily have to be for food rights. If you want to advocate for bees, which that's open to, it's a very open experimental type of uh, community engagement program. I mean, it's, um, I just, it's funny because I had kind of this leisurely schedule for it this year. It's like, oh, I'll just launch this project. 
you know, we'll, we'll make this happen. And then COVID-19 hit and I was like, oh my gosh, look at, you know, you know, look at nature coming in and flatlining everything and showing us where, where we're, where we're wrong and what we need to, to, to do to correct us. So all of a sudden this, <laughs> this leisure schedule was changed into something like I have to get this done. And um, I, you know, I had launched a Patreon page and I had gotten a few supporters with this who are, you know, paying for the website, which is good. And um, which is, you know, it's, it's a little relief off of what I, you know, off of me to do that. But the other good thing about it is, is that I have enough support where I have, um, I can have the business level of a website on this. So eventually I will be selling um, custom artwork to support um, what we're doing here. Sounds and, a lot like what um, I do, you know, being yeah, an artist I, and, you know, art and activism blend together so well and you sell art to do activism sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And I, I'm so fortunate that I was finally able to do this, you know, because, um, I'll, you know, I work as a graphic designer, so, you know, that's that supports me. And I was always this kind of photographer who kind of kept my art to myself, you know. I was like, this was my place where I could just go and escape. Because, you know, dancing dancing on a dance dance floor at midnight is just no longer part of my repertoire. You know, that was that used to be my escape. <laughs> years and years and years and years, you know. Get out on the dance floor, get lost in the lights, get lost in the music. And, you know, um, it was the freest place in the world for me. So the other place for that was doing my photography work. And it just, it, it was fulfilling, but it wasn't moving. Uh, you know, anything meaningful along. So now that I'm able to take this creativity and take this energy and direct it into something that can hopefully have an impact, um, it's so much better all around. So, um, yeah, it's... Um, so it's what is your website for Sovereignty Gardens? You want to do a plug for your website? Oh, sure. Um, it's www.sovereignty.garden. Okay. And I'm really, it's really happy to see that uh, Doc Garden was, you know, available as a URL. So, and what happened was, so I launched this and I got this done on the second weekend in May. And uh, the second weekend in May, as we know, is Mother's Day. And I was like, well, I can't launch this on, you know, on Mother's Day. You know, the, the world's focused on Mother's Day. So how am I going to, this is not the place, this is not the weekend to do it. So that following week I had did a, um, uh, slow food live seminar or webinar that we've been doing as a response to COVID and it's a skill sharing um, type of thing and all of the skill shares that we do for with slow food live, live are on our archive on our uh, website at slowfoodusa.org and during the course of um, this uh, webinar someone that I work with within slow food asked about a community seed project you know collecting seeds for a community seed project and as it turns out um, this community seed project is uh, part of a larger project in Dallas Texas which is a response to COVID-19 where they realized that in Texas they import a lot of their agriculture from Mexico and this community seed project is going to grow into a food sovereignty project there for securing their food in uh, the Dallas area and um, the surrounding areas in North Texas. So as it turns out, you know, my first community sovereignty garden is going to be part of this um, program in Texas. So while it was a very soft launch and it was the 
the deadline was pushed up by COVID-19, it also turned out to be fortunate in a way that I got it, I got a website up and I was able to connect on this type of project. Um, so, but if, you know, if there are people, please contact me. Again, my, my email is libraryseedbank at gmail.com. There's contact forms on my libraryseedbank.info website and on the sovereignty.gardens website. You know, contact me and let's start talking about this. And I can provide the platform on Sovereignty Gardens um, for what you could plug into. And then there are, you know, because I'm connected into the Slow Food Network, if there are ways to connect you with what we do about equity and social justice on preserving local foods, if you're a chef, we have a Chef's Alliance. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do through that platform that could really make it, um, you know, a difference. And I think there's like this natural fit that may develop partially thanks to COVID that a lot of places have started mutual aid organizations. You know, we have a good South yes. Jersey mutual aid, mutual Morris up in Morris County is an amazing mutual aid. So there may be some overlap there with people that are trying to develop community power through mutual aid would also be developing community power through community gardening or seed saving or food sovereignty. So I think there may be a lot more overlap and things may have happened for a reason with when you were launching this, that there's a lot of overlap, I think, that could really be beneficial for people. Oh, I, yeah, and I agree. And, you know, as I as I mentioned earlier, I'm just following the success that I've had with connecting things and making things happen. And, you know, I've gotten I'm really very fortunate that I've been able to make some really good connections and work on some pretty cool projects to um, in the South Jersey area. So, you know, and I'm one person and I'm not, I'm not a nonprofit. I never went to nonprofit route because um, when I launched Library Seed Bank, I was like, well, do I really want to do a nonprofit and then have a board come in, come in and take over, you know, my work that I'm doing here? You know, that was in the back of my mind. Plus I've worked in the corporate, even though we are a capital system. So that's how I was making my, my living. So I knew how that work more so than the uh, nonprofit world. And I thought, well, this is too much, too many learning curves and too many things to do. So I never really actually did a nonprofit. So that said, this is, you know, and I did look into, you know, B corporations and things like that. But that said, you know, even though this isn't an, an existing entity on paper, there are, it's more of, it's more community driven and um, if people want to connect through this and have a platform, I, I can help them do it. There's just a limit to what I can do as a single person. Getting up there <laughs> in, uh, in age, I got to be honest with you. It's like I'm looking at what I used to do five years ago and I'm thinking, how did I do that? You know? So, um, but yeah, please, you know, contact me. Mutual aid is great. Uh, community garden seed saving. The essence of what food sovereignty is about is mutual aid. You know, it's securing food for yourself or your community that's culturally culturally appropriate. So I think that there is a lot of overlap on this, and I would welcome any um, any information or any help on um, you know making this happen. Well, we're just about out of time for today. We're a little over that half hour mark, but I wanted to give you the last word. If you have any calls to action or words of wisdom or anything for the audience before we call it a day today. Uh, okay, so uh, grow food, 
grow food if uh, one thing one, uh, grow food and save seeds if you can and if you can't grow food just uh, try to keep some seeds in your refrigerator you know in a jar in a refrigerator because here's the thing if you have seeds you always have access to food seeds are a food source in and of themselves because they are you know birds animals and humans eat them they do have nutrition in them but you can always improvise uh, how to grow them, or you can always find someone who can has a space that doesn't have seeds. If you have an acre of land and you don't have seeds, you can't improvise growing your food. So um, I will leave it with um, empower yourself, uh, learn about food sovereignty, uh, you know, embrace your food rights. They're out there, and um, you know work with your community and let's 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 feed ourselves and make ourselves more secure <clears throat> with food. All right, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, today Jeff. Uh, this is great. I could talk to you for hours, I think. <laughs> well, I'll probably have to have you back again on in another show, and we can talk a little more about slow food, because we didn't even really get into what the slow food movement was entirely. So, you know, maybe we can have you back for another show just to talk about that. Uh, that would be great. Um, you know, whatever or whenever is, um, it's always welcome to have an opportunity, as I said, to expand the conversation so that more people are talking about things. To my listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, this has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. So I hope you really enjoyed this conversation today that, you know, even just what Jeff said right there at the end of just keeping some seeds around just in case, because you have no idea what's going to happen. Capitalism does not leave us in a secure, powerful space. So anything you can do to have that little extra bit of power and really keep, you know, finding a way to feed yourself armies march on their stomachs, you know, <laughs> so this is an important topic to have to talk about. We appreciate you so much. The future is yours to create. Go out there and create it.